Let's bow once more before we look into the word of God together this morning. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for uh, this uh, beautiful uh, morning uh, because we have the opportunity to celebrate your son's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, Lord. And as we continue on in uh, taking a consideration uh, of the truth, uh, as we, we talked last time, is uh, that some people uh, do not like the truth and will do whatever is necessary to suppress it. Uh, and Lord, as we consider your son Jesus Christ coming into uh, Jerusalem uh, on that donkey to uh, prepare to offer his life as a ransom for many, uh, Lord, we, we do thank you for his faithfulness, for his obedience, uh, and that even though the people misunderstood the truth that he is king, uh, Lord, that uh, you would help us to better understand that even today to understand who the king of glory is. Uh, because it's your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. And today is part two in a three-part Easter sermon series. Uh, last week was the truth that some people don't like the truth, and we took a look at the Pharisees and their willingness to do what was ever necessary to uh, suppress the truth about Jesus Christ, suppress the truth about who they were before a holy God. Uh, and today we're going to look at the, the, the truth that Jesus is king uh, as we take a look at the triumphal entry out of Luke chapter 19. And I'll begin reading there in verse 37. Luke 19, starting in verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The truth that we're going to take a look at today is that Jesus Christ was not an ordinary man. He was born like you and me uh, because he came from his mother, Mary, uh, but his birth was miraculous uh, because Mary was a virgin and the Spirit came upon her uh, and th that way Christ would not have the sin nature that each one of us battles with so that he would maintain that holiness as God. Uh, to be born to uh, uh, eventually give his life uh, as a sacrifice. And the interesting thing here is that we, we take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 19. Uh, it is actually Jesus uh, making his claim to be their Messiah. Uh, because he is coming into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey, and we'll, we'll speak to that in a few moments. But it's an actually a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. So if you want to keep your fingers here in Luke chapter 19, um, well, actually, you don't have to keep your finger there, but if you want to turn back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 9, and I'll give you a few moments to get there, uh, towards the end of the Old, of the Old Testament there, uh, it, this is the prophecy that we see fulfilled in Luke chapter 19, a prophecy that is nearly 500 years earlier. 
Uh, and this gives testimony to the fact that, that God knows everything there is to know and can, uh, you know, foretell what was yet to come, even something as, as many as 500 years, uh, and as we know, uh, for even more as far as prophecy is concerned. But Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 will help us understand Luke 19. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation uh, is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10 says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So right here in the book of Zechariah, we can see the foretelling of what was yet to come. And we see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Because as it says there, and we know in the text, and we didn't read the previous verses, but he did, you know, Mount on a donkey, uh, one that was especially, you know, set aside for him, uh, that his disciples went and, and brought to him. But the interesting thing I want you to notice is in verse 10, because there is a, a sense in which Jesus did come to make peace. Uh, and uh, kings would ride a donkey in a time of peace. Uh, that They didn't ride a horse, uh, you know, because that meant war. So it says there in verse 10 that he cut off the chariot and the war horse. See, those are the main vehicles of war. Uh, he, he, the battle bow shall be cut off. Well, that is a weapon of war. He shall speak peace to the nations. So instead of it being a charge to battle, it is a message of peace. And his rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So this speaks to the extent of his control, which eliminates every enemy there is. And so Jesus Christ, as he came into Jerusalem on that uh, that blessed day, was coming forth to eradicate everything that man holds dear in relation to war. Well, the Jewish people were looking for a conquering hero to free them from the oppression of Rome. Uh, and so for them to, to know, uh, that he was coming for the purpose of getting rid of war and the weapons of war, bringing a message of peace, uh, and eliminating anyone who would be a competition to that peace, uh, in some sense was a, a good thing for them. But the problem is, is they had the wrong context because Jesus did not come to free them from Rome. He came to free them from their sin. And in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 21, uh, we actually find out that the, the people were actually shouting. Uh, we don't find this in the Luke account. Uh, it says they were saying, blessed to the, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, they were actually shouting, it says in verse 20, or verse 9 of chapter 21, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Well, that word Hosanna literally means, oh, save. So it is a call for Jesus to save the people. They're calling out to him for an appeal for salvation. 
Uh, it's the same Hebrew word, word, root word that we see in Psalm 106, verse 47, where it says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And the thing is, it wasn't just even the people. It was even the children. Because we read in Matthew chapter 21, if you look down a couple more verses there to verses 15 and 16, it says, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. It's amazing the choice of those words. When they heard the shouts, the cries, even from the children saying, Hosanna to the son of David. There were people that recognized that Jesus was the Messiah because even in Jesus' day, there were Jews that believed in Jesus, that put their faith and trust in Jesus. But sadly, many of the Jews did not. Just like even today, there are many people, whether Jew or Gentile, that do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the true king over all, that there is nothing outside of his control. Because we look at the worldscape and we think, well, there's a lot of leaders in countries and it seems as though God is not really that much in control. Because if he was, things would be different. Well, God is in control. And who am I to know the mind of the Lord? To know his timing and his long-suffering for him to raise up leaders and to take down leaders. Because sometimes he raises them up as a blessing. Sometimes he raises them up as a curse as a judgment upon people but even the children were crying out and they were indignant which ties back into our time last week see the religious leaders loved their control they loved the power that they wielded over people they loved the the sense of self-satisfaction that they were exactly how they needed to be because their standard was themselves Their standard was not God himself. But all these people crying out, the the adults, the children, uh, saying, you know, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, but a Messiah of their own making. And sometimes, you know, we, we want to be freed from something because we see it as either oppression or uh, maybe even go to the extent of saying that that's unfair. Uh, but yet, uh, Jesus came and did Jesus have the power to free them of Rome? Absolutely. But that's not why he came. And there's a big difference. He came for the purpose of not revolting against the oppressive <clears throat> Roman Empire, which was very much oppressive, but instead, to free them from their sin, to go to that cross. But it was very short-lived, those cries of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the son of David. Because those same crowds, not all of them, but most of them, would be crying out five days later, crucify him, crucify him. Because they would also become indignant because Jesus did not match up to what they believed he should have been. But Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was the sinless son of God, the lamb of God, who came for the purpose of offering himself to take away our sin. 
So why? Why the change from Hosanna to crucify him? Well, that's because they did not recognize that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. See, Jesus came from heaven, and his kingdom is a heavenly one. And so for our next few minutes together, I'd like you to turn over to John chapter 18, because I want you to see, as Jesus is standing before Pilate, just shortly before he's going to be crucified, what he has as far as an interaction with Pilate, for you to see that Jesus was proclaiming that this is not his kingdom. And he'll tell you why, because if it was his kingdom, then there would be a result of the people as in relation to that. And we'll see that here in our text here in a few moments. But John chapter 18, so let's start in verse 33. It says, So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. <clears throat> but, Jesus, or, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. So here's the purpose, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And what is that truth? That we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we cannot save ourselves. And apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus did not come to save from man's oppression. He came to save from sin's oppression. See, Jesus would bring the people face to face with the ugliness of their sin, their selfish pride. And as we take a look at the New Testament, we can see that Jesus in his confrontations with the religious leaders very much so brought forth their sinfulness. Had them come face to face with their hypocrisy, to come face to face with their, their lying and their, their manipulation. And guess what? They didn't like it. And so they suppressed that truth and unrighteousness, uh, and would rather believe a lie to safeguard, uh, what they perceive truth to be, which is really just falsehood. And this is why, as Pilate made it very clear that your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. See, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus when they found out why Jesus came, or really why he did not come to do what they expected him to do. They wanted a ruler that was going to free them from oppression of everything that Rome represented. But Jesus came to bring people face to face with the ultimate problem that each and every one of us needs to come to grips with. And that's our sin before a holy God. See, Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual one. And after entering Jerusalem, did Jesus go to the palace? No, because he wasn't going there to challenge Rome. He went to the temple instead. 
And what did he do? He drove out the, 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 those that had changed the temple, God's house, into something that wasn't meant to be. They were, were, were cheating people and making a profit in God's house. And this is why he gave testimony to Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from the world. Yes, I came into the world. I am Emmanuel, God in the flesh. And I did come to God's chosen people, the Israelites. But his own nation, his own religious leaders that were supposed to be pointing people to God, instead delivered them over or delivered him over to the rulers to be crucified. And all so that he could bear witness to the truth. It's interesting because Jesus didn't come to give them five steps to a better life. <laughs> You're going to get giggled out of that, yeah? But that's, you know, think about it. That's how man thinks. You know, you are capable within yourself if you just do these five things or ten things or two things or whatever number is given by the person who comes up with those ingenious things. And they're ingenious as far as man is concerned, but they're foolishness in relation to God. Because Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. That is why he came. Because the religious leaders were lying to the people. They had surrounded God's law with over 600 other laws that they could manipulate and use for their own benefit and to puff and to lift themselves up over the people and have that control. Ten Commandments. That's God's law. See, Jesus came not to bear witness to the precepts or preconceived notions of man. Because he could see into man's heart. And he knows that we are sinful at the core. He knows why he needed to come and die. Because scripture tells us that even before the very foundation of the world, within the Godhead, between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that they put into motion what would be Jesus Christ coming. Taking on human flesh, walking amongst us, And making a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He is king. Amen. Just not king of what man expected him to be king of. Which is really a misnomer anyway because he's king over all. He is sovereign over all. See, we needed Jesus. Why? Because he revealed to us that we are not king. That's the hypocrisy that he was pointing out to the religious leaders. That's why they hated him. That's why they turned him over to Pilate for the purpose of being, you know, prepared to be crucified as a sinner, as someone who had done something heinously wrong. And you even remember Pilate's words. He says, what have you done that your own people have turned you over? It must have been something tremendous, but it wasn't. He knew where he needed to go. He knew where he would end up on that Good Friday. 
He revealed to us that we're not king. We are not the masters of our own destiny because we all answer to the eternal God. He is the one who is king. He showed us that there is more to life because there is eternity. Because he is eternal and he gave each and every one of you an eternal soul. And so depending upon what you do with Jesus Christ, if you reject him like the religious leader and the people did in turning him over to Pilate to be crucified, or in other words, a rejection of the call of repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ, then you will spend eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. And it's not a very nice place. It is a place of torment forever or eternal life through Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. He exposed to us the truth that in Proverbs fourteen twelve there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. See, man thinks he's got it all figured out because he feel, thinks that he is the king of his own destiny and that whatever he decides, whatever, you know, course or action that he takes is within his power and his control. And what that is is a suppression of the truth that there is a God. It is a suppression of the truth that you have to answer to that God one day. It seems right to man, but at the end, the way is death. See, only Jesus can open the way to eternal life. Jesus made his triumphal entry... He proclaimed that this kingdom or his kingdom is not of this world. And the people had a failure to see Jesus as the king of glory. They couldn't see beyond their own selfishness. They couldn't see beyond their own sin. They couldn't see beyond their own uh, establishing and building themselves up as individual kings. Chris Tomlin sings a song called King of Glory. I would like to read a few of the lyrics to you. <clears throat> it says, lift up your gaze, be lifted up. Tell everyone how great the love, the love that came down from heaven's gate to kiss the earth with hope and grace. Sing, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. There is one God. He is holy. There is one Lord over everything. There is one king. He is Jesus, King of glory, strong and mighty. See, today I hope that you do not fail to see the King of glory. I hope that you understand that Jesus, as he entered Jerusalem, was no less king over all than he is at this very moment. But he did humble himself to the point of death on a cross. See, they confused humility for weakness. They wanted a conquering hero, but as it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, their idea of peace was freedom from foreign rule. But Jesus came to lay down his life so that he may offer us reconciliation with God. 
Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith or declared righteous by the God of all because of our faith and trust in Christ alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way we have peace. That's the way we are reconciled to God. It's not by us doing what we think is best. It is solely doing it God's way. They did not see Jesus' sovereign rule over all. Instead, they treated him like a lowly criminal. And instead, when they had the opportunity to free Jesus, even after turning him over, what did they do? They chose Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist and a murderer. So that tells you how they saw Jesus. All because they thought peace was freedom from foreign rule, when in reality, reconciliation with God is the end all of life. They did not see their unworthiness to be in the presence of the Son of God because they believed that they were better than him. You know what? I'll just go ahead and continue to trust Rome because Jesus couldn't do it. He failed to meet my expectations. Well, see, when we start to frame words like that, that means we're making a God of our own making. And we don't even like that when other people frame us in ways that are contrary to who we are. But yet man can so freely do so when it comes to God. To make him something he's not. To focus on one aspect of who he is and say that that's my God. See, their hands were not clean and their hearts were not pure. Instead, they chose their own desires. Here you go. Take Jesus from us because he's, he's not what we wanted him to be. Even though he fulfilled prophecy 500 years earlier, as we read earlier in Zechariah chapter 9. See, they missed the blessing of the Lord of righteousness and exchanged it for the words, crucify him. And sometimes words can mean everything that we think and everything that we are can come forth with passion and desire. And we know that they can either do one of two things, glorify ourselves or glorify God. Because even as we glorify other things outside of ourselves, really that is glorifying ourselves because it's something that we desire to be done. It's the focus that we give it to with things that we give credence to. See, they didn't face, or I'm sorry, they didn't seek the face of God. Instead, they would spit, beat, and slap his face. See, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a precursor. If you take anything away from this morning, this is what I want you to hear. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a precursor to his ultimate triumphal entry into the spiritually dead hearts of those he came to save. That's what the king does. He breaks down all of those barriers, all those, you know, in relation to regular war, all those vehicles of war, the chariot and the war horse. Well, that can represent all of the excuses, all of the, you know, pushback, all the suppression of the truth that we do in order to justify our existence and justify not humbling ourselves and repenting of our sin. We will use whatever's in our arsenal to keep God at a distance 
or to surround ourselves with things that make us feel comfortable. Thinking that we're at peace, but really we're still at war. And we try and fill that with all kinds of things that are empty, that will not satisfy. We have an insatiable thirst for the God who made us. And no one can be filled with the God who made us. And what sinful man does as a slave to sin is suppress any truth in relation to that. And so in trying to fill his life with all those things that are empty, always ends up coming up short. And has to find something else to fill. Something else that will re-energize to give them some sense of identity or semblance uh, for the next however many days or weeks or months. When God can give them a peace that goes into eternity. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a precursor to his ultimate triumphal entry into the spiritually dead hearts of those he came to save. Because he is the only one who brings righteousness and is actually righteousness himself. We can't do it. Stop trying. Romans three twenty one through 22a says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Do you notice that? It's, it's separated from the law because Jesus fulfilled the law himself. But righteousness comes apart from fulfilling the law because even if we tried our hardest, if we could outwardly deceive people like the Pharisees did to even obey God's law, God knows our heart. He knows the intentions. He knows why we do what we do. And even our thoughts can betray us. That's why righteousness of God was manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Because everything in the Bible is about the coming of Jesus from the Garden of Eden all the way forward. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's where righteousness comes from. So let me close this morning by asking you a very profound question. Do you see and know Jesus, the King of glory, this morning? Amen. We'll honor him as king. And as we go through this beginning of what we consider or label as Holy Week, to remember his triumphal entry, you know, his... um, Coming before the the leaders of Rome, being sentenced to be crucified, to be beaten and scourged and spit upon as he approached that cross, that he did so for you. Do not forget that. Do not let the world rob you of that truth. Instead, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also see and know him. Because we see him this time of year, because that's what the focus of everything is. Because we always have this time of year to go back to. We always celebrate Easter, but do you know him? Knowing him means that you spend time with him outside of this week. That you dig deep into his word. That you spend time with him. So do you see and know Jesus, the King of glory, this morning? Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
Gracious Father, Lord, thank you that your son did not give up. That he didn't give up on me. That through your grace and your mercy, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a symbol of shame. That even when the people did not acknowledge him as king of glory, but instead would elevate and, and, and see that Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist and a murderer, was more worthy to be released from charges that were very true to keep Jesus, whose charges were very false. Lord, help us to see and to know your son, Jesus Christ, today. He is the king of glory. He has been given a name above every name, and at his name, every knee shall bow. In earth, under the earth, everywhere, because he is the king of glory, and all for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.